Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right. Hey, can we thank the worship team for leading us this morning? Thank you, guys. That was great. That was great. Um, it's great to have Keith back here. He went and done got himself promoted. Yeah, so let's honor Keith. Let's have, welcome him back. Keith went and got himself promoted and is now uh, the, the head worship leader for all of Community of Hope, and he's at our West Campus these days, but it's always good to have him back here at the East Campus when we have the Puerto Rican powerhouse reunited with the Scottish Sasquatch. We're good. Oh, yeah. So it's good to have you back, man. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you, Keith, and thank you, team, for leading us in worship. That was, man, um, it, it, I feel like I was able to worship during the pandemic. I didn't have any of this written down. This is just from my heart. Um, I connected with God during worship, and I had songs, I had music, but there's something about singing in a room together with people. Like, not everybody can come back yet. Like, we're compassionate around that. Some people can't make it back yet. They're, they need to be safe. I mean, this, so this is an option, but man, it's good to sing with people, isn't it? Yeah, it's good to sing with people. So, very good. So thanks again, guys. So we are uh, knee-deep in a series we're calling Come Alive. Everyone say that with me. Come Alive. And we're, this is an important season because what we're talking about is the deeper work that we long for God to do inside of the human heart, inside of the human soul. Uh, we're talking about this idea of what happens when we let God not just deal with the top 10% of what we could see and what others could see, but we'll let him dig at the stuff that's really underneath the surface in our lives. If you haven't yet, go and open up your, uh, your Bible app or your Bible or your sermon notes on your COH app, however you want to take notes or engage with God's word, we encourage you to do that. And here's what we're talking about in this series. We have two big ideas that we're navigating. And the first idea is that... Uh, the more we navigate these issues is the more we can fully become ourselves and that we can't actually fully become our true selves outside of a relationship with God. And that the more you navigate a healthy relationship with God, the more you become the real you. And not just the real you, but actually who you were meant to be from the beginning. Because we believe here at our church that each person, every single person, men and women, old and young, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, every single person is made in the image of God. On your heart is the thumbprint of God. You are his masterpiece. This is what we believe here. Um, I'm not a big country music fan. Are any huge country music fans in here? Oh, yeah, okay. All right, so we got some of you huge fans. Who are you like, I can listen to a little bit of country every now and then. Who are you like, I'm going to barf if I hear country music. Are there any of those? Can I say barf from the pulpit? I just did. Whoops. Okay. So um, uh, Dale and I were talking about it this week, and there's some actually, like some people really love country music. I'm the type of person where it's not my favorite, but let me tell you what I do know about country music. I feel like the older stuff is better than some of the new stuff. Like the new stuff sounds better, but some of the old stuff had some soul in it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Now, that's mostly true, except for if you go back 20 or 30 years and you listen to some ridiculous country title songs. So these are real songs. I promise you, some of you are like, yeah, I bought the 8-track to that. Listen to this. All right, these are real song titles. Am I double parked by the curbstone of your heart? 
Beauty is only skin deep, finish if you know it, but ugly goes clean to the bone. Come out of the wheat field, Nellie, you're going against the grain. Oh, this, this, this one's horrible. He's got away with women, he just got away with mine. Oof. This one, like, I could not believe what Dale told me this, like, there's no way. This is actually a song, Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalposts of Life. Glory's laughing. You know that one, don't you? <laughs> yeah, so just, this is like ridiculous stuff. Now, here's an oldie but a goodie uh, a, a country song. And this is by, we have a picture here. It's by an old country artist named Paul Overstreet. And he had a song called Seeing My Father in Me. Any of you remember that one? Yeah, a couple of you. Okay, well, if you're not familiar with it, go YouTube it later like I had to. So, and this is the lyrics to these songs. It's really, really cool. It's a, he kind of sings this way. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. Um, he says here, I'm seeing my father in me. I guess that's how it's meant to be. And I find I'm more and more like him each day. I notice I walk the way he walks. I notice I talk the way he talks. I'm starting to see my father in me. And in a very true way, this is the message in the heart of Christianity. That when you become a follower of Jesus, you can begin to see the work of the divine father inside of you and how he made you in his image. And that the more we follow Jesus, the more he makes us like himself. And just like he would sing about, I'm walking and talking the way my dad does, you begin to walk and talk and sound like your heavenly father because the work of Jesus Christ inside of you. See, the more you navigate a relationship with God, the more you become who you were truly meant to be because you're following the one who put you together in the first place. Now, as we're navigating this series, what we also know is true. It's not just, oh, follow Jesus, you become who you were supposed to be. Part of his work is not just helping us reach a level of self-actualization. The message of Jesus is much better and deeper than that. But there's a work of redemption and healing that needs to happen in that process. Uh, a phenomenal story that I learned this week was I want to show you a picture of one of Michelangelo's greatest works. Keith, help me not be a goober. Pieta, not Pieta. This is the Pieta. Glory, am I saying it right? Pieta, Pieta. There you, you, were, you went to Italy just a little bit ago, right? Last year. Last year, yeah, okay, good. I don't look too much like a goober. Thanks, friends. And so this is just a phenomenal work of, our, of the great Renaissance artist Michelangelo. And it's a picture of Mary, or it's a sculpture of Mary holding the body of Jesus after his death, obviously before his resurrection from the dead. Did you know that just a few years back, um, a crazed nationalist uh, rushed this statue and took a sledgehammer to it? And they were able to stop him, but the damage had already been done. But because of the fantastic artists in the Vatican... They were able to restore it to near perfect condition. You would never know a sledgehammer had been taken to it. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. This is what God wants to do with you. You are a beautiful 
work of art made in the image of the divine creator of the universe, imprinted with love. The human species is different than every other species of created being that God has ever made because he breathed his breath of life and his image inside of you. But life has a way of beating that out of you, of shattering that and distorting that and damaging that. And the message of Jesus is he hasn't come to judge you for what you may have done to yourself, what someone else may have done to you, what maybe just life has done to you, but he's come to bring restoration to you and to restore you. Ephesians chapter, I think it's 514. We have, go ahead and put it on the screen. Oh, 210, way, way off. I got the book right. It says this here, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. If you're taking notes, if you see that, the word handiwork there in Greek really means workmanship or work of art. The word is poema. It's the same word for poetry, that you are God's handiwork, God's masterpiece, God's master poem. And God is determined to overcome the defacing of the image of him inside of you. His plan is to not simply repair most of your brokenness, but he wants to make you brand new and make you come alive. It says this here in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. He's not just here to renovate you, but to make you Brand new, praise God. Amen. And this is where we come to the other idea that we're pairing in this series. That to become who you're meant to be, to have God repair the image of his image inside of you, you need to walk with him through Jesus. And that the other side of this, the truths that we're holding in tension together, is that when you do that, your emotional health and your spiritual health are absolutely interconnected. And God not only wants to deal with the spiritual part of you, he wants to deal with the emotional side of you, which means sometimes you got to peel back some layers and deal with some stuff with the help of Jesus. This is what we're talking about. Now, last week, we had a heavy conversation about Joseph and about our past. We started the series talking about how to know yourself, then how to become yourself, and then we started talking about how to navigate your past. And we used Joseph as a path guide for us. And Joseph had a very painful past full of uh, lots of pain and, and, and sin and tragedy, but we could see that he navigated his past in the right way because of a few things, that Joseph dealt with his past with great honesty. He did not minimize his pain or the sin that had been done to him, but faced his pain and his grief with honesty. He looked at his perspective with a God-leaning perspective. When life happens to you, some people lean away from God and they push God away. We could see in the midst of Joseph's tragedy and pain, he leaned into God. It said he was in prison, but God was with him. That's what's so inspiring. I remember talking to somebody in our church about two or three years ago who had an unspeakable tragedy happen to them. And the day after one of the toughest funerals we have ever done in the history of our church, I saw them on Sunday morning. I was surprised that they came. I said, I'm just shocked that you guys are here. I'm so glad you are. And they looked at me and said, yeah, we can't get through this without God. Where else are we going to go? This is what Joseph did. 
He leaned in with a God-leaning perspective and he leaned in with trust. And when you navigate your past with those things, with honesty, when you lean into God and when you lean into trust now, not just with dealing with your past, but I trust God now, regardless of what happened, when you do that, you end up becoming a blessing to everybody else around you, no matter how painful your past has been. And so we've learned that with Joseph, which leads us to today, where we start talking about our future. We dealt with our past, now we have to look forward and lean in towards our future. But there's a problem here. There's a gap. We just can't, now let's talk about the future, we're done with our past. The problem is that when you're in your present, you're dealing with your present circumstances, you're thinking about your future, but you have opened up the door to your past, it creates problems. It stirs things up. Sometimes it's like you... You begin navigating, trying to look for a way forward. When you're all of a sudden mirrored and clouded by everything that's in your past, it's almost like you have two pathways to choose, and it's hard to know which way to go. We have a picture of it here. Sometimes this is really difficult to navigate. It's sometimes hard, especially for some of you, if I stirred up stuff about your past last week. For some of you, might not be so much. Others of you, last week was hard. I know we had more people go to the prayer room than we had in a long time last week because some of the stuff that we stirred up. And it's hard to know, like, how can I even move forward when I feel like I got all this junk behind me? Um, I heard Woody Allen say this quote one time when talking about choosing a crossroads, and he said, we stand at a crossroads. One path leads to despair and hopelessness, and the other to extinction. Let us pray we have the wisdom to make the right choice right? And so honestly, when you deal with your past, you try to figure out your future, it feels like, I don't know which way to go. It's disorienting. It can feel a little hopeless. It doesn't have to feel that way. You don't have to feel stuck. You don't have to feel like you don't know which way to go. God gives us a path forward. And we feel like we have a great scripture, maybe the quintessential scripture today for what does it mean for how do you navigate your future in light of a difficult past? How do you do that? So our passage for today uh, comes from uh, the book of Philippians. It's a letter written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. So if you're new to the scriptures, uh, uh, Paul, we're going to talk about him here in a minute. But this is a letter that he wrote to a church, to a group of Christians in a city called Philippi. And so this is written to the Philippian Christians in the first century. And so Paul, uh, when he wrote this to him, he had a lot of wonderful things to say. And we're going to read verses 7 through 16. And so this is what he had to say in the first century to them and to us here today as it's been preserved. Paul says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
Now, not that I've already obtained all of this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, and I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So the title of this morning's message is 2020 Vision. 2020 Vision. Let's pray. And uh, instead of me praying here, I'm going to give you another moment to pray for yourself. Let's pray the words of the prophet Samuel from the Old Testament. Silently to yourself, pray this. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. <clears throat> amen. All right, so let's talk about Paul. Um, if anybody had a past, it was most definitely the Apostle Paul, by far. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, let me catch you up here. The Apostle Paul, when we met him uh, first in the book of Acts in chapter 7, he wasn't even named Paul. He was a guy named Saul. And Saul, uh, he was a little bit of a piece of work. Saul was the top antagonizer of the early Christians, the very first Christians uh, in Jerusalem and in Israel. He was their top persecutor, their top and antagonizer. Now, in our day and age, we're a little bit soft. We think if somebody says something mean on social media, oh, I'm being persecuted. I mean, like, we need to grow thicker skin. Amen? Can we just say that? All right. What Paul was, excuse me, what Saul was doing to Christians was he was going, because he was a Pharisee, which is like an ancient Israelite fundamentalist. And he was going because Christians were worshiping Jesus and calling Jesus the Son of God, and that broke all of their rules. He would literally go and throw them in prison. In fact, when we first meet Saul in Acts 7, he is doing the coat service. He's literally holding the coats and the jackets for everybody, killing the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Put that in your brain. He's not an innocent bystander. He's like, hey, Larry, let me hold your coat. Get a rock. Hit him. I got, I got your jacket. Come on. I don't know why I said Larry. Sorry, where's Larry? <laughs> Sorry. I always do that to him. I don't know why. I always do that to you. I'm so sorry. You're not killing Stephen. I know, right? Squirrel. Okay, I'm back. He's killing people and helping kill people, helping throw them into prison. And then what do you know? This whole Jesus thing is not just religious activity. He's real. He's alive. And he appeared to Saul, the living Christ appeared to him. He had a radical encounter with him that changed everything. Some people become followers of Christ like by a dimmer switch, like over a process and a period of time you have a spiritual awakening. And some people are a light switch. Like it's off and turn on, boom. All of a sudden they follow Jesus. Paul was the 
light switch follower of Jesus. And it changed everything, everything for him. I think Pastor Dale, when he was here two or three weeks ago, he said this, this phrase here of the, what the radical grace and the indiscriminate compassion of Jesus. Do you remember him using that phrase? Paul is the example of what the radical grace and indiscriminate of compassion of Jesus can do in a person. And the reason I'm telling you all this background stuff of Paul, who used to be the Christian killer, the Christian persecutor, the jailer of Christians, and he is now an apostle of Jesus Christ. When Paul is writing in Philippians, he's not just writing to them, it's us, he's preaching to himself. Can you imagine what it must be like to be the leader of the church or one of the leaders of the church and to know that in your past you have blood on your hands of the same people? If anybody had a past, it is this guy. And so if you've got a messy past, you are in the right place today. And so we learn from Paul that it had to be difficult to navigate his past just like it is for a lot of us. And you could see in some of that will be read. Um, this reminds me a lot of um, uh, a book that we've referenced here a couple times. It's by Stephen Ambrose. It's a book called Undaunted Courage. And it's uh, really a retelling of what the Lewis and Clark um, team went through in exploring the West of America. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this, um, it's pretty incredible as a history lesson that is instructive for us today. And so Thomas Jefferson sent them in hopes to look for an opening for the American West. They're trying to find the Pacific and a waterway to the Pacific. So check this out. After two years of battling nearly insurmountable problems, like hunger, fatigue, desertion, hostile enemies, severe illness, and death, the Lewis and Clark party finally reached the headwaters of the Missouri River. And all their advanced information that they had been given led them to believe that once they reached the Continental Divide, they would face about a half-day portage and then reach the waters of the Columbia River and float safely down to the Pacific Ocean. Everything led them to believe that they were this close to achieving hero status forever. Now, at one point, Meriwether Lewis left the rest of the company behind to go climb the bluffs that would enable him to see the other side. And he was hoping to see the waters that would carry them the rest of the way. But as he got to the top, hoping he would see the Columbia River, they would take them to the Pacific Ocean. Get this. Instead of seeing a gentle sloping alley as he expected, instead, Lewis became the first non-Native American to set his eyes instead on the Rocky Mountains. Can you imagine you think you're seeing your pathway to the Pacific and instead you crest and it's this impossible mountain range. It would take your breath away with discouragement, wouldn't it? And so what we learned from the journey was that eventually the crossing the Rocky Mountains would perhaps be the supreme achievement of this trip. The challenge would call forth enormous creativity and perseverance. It would lead them to spectacular sights and unforgettable memories because when they had tackled the Rocky Mountains, they know they would be able to tackle anything. And to be honest, when I think of the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians, I think of this story. 
Lewis and Clark were opening the American West. And Paul was navigating the rest of his life and his future as a Christ follower. And he's trying not to be sidelined by his past. This is where Paul's words really, really help us out here today. And so, uh, in navigating our future, we've talked about this throughout the series. We've talked a lot about temptations that you're going to face and pursuing a life that is coming fully alive through the grace of Jesus Christ. The temptation that you will face in trying to, as you navigate your past, moving forward to your future, you'll think the greatest key to your future and the greatest temptation of that will be speed. This is what the American dream has taught all of us. More, better, faster. More, better, faster. We think, well, as I'm navigating my future, more, better, faster, more, better, faster, more, better, faster. In fact, in the news this week, um, anybody, did you see in the news about the Virgin Hyperloop? Anybody see that? It's fascinating. Here's a picture of some conceptual designs. They've actually built this out, I think, in West Virginia. And um, it's owned by the Virgin Company that does all the cool technological stuff. Like, they went from selling CDs to doing, like, space travel. I don't know how they did that. Richard Branson, just amazing. Um, uh, anyway, uh, so this is what this Hyperloop is. It's kind of like a ground transportation, high-speed thing that's way beyond trains or anything like that. Um, imagine this. That a trip, a short route from like Los Angeles to Las Vegas or Washington DC to New York City, imagining that trip only taking 30 minutes. These things go north of 600 miles an hour. Unbelievable what the future of transportation is going to become in our country. There's a lot of innovation, a lot of disruption happening. It's amazing, it's inspiring. And this is really cool if you're trying to shorten your trip and your commute time. This is really bad if you apply this to your life for your future. Because speed, um, they say this in football, speed kills. Speed also kills your soul. It also kills your soul. Dallas Willard, the great uh, spiritual author, wrote this. He said, to grow in our character, to grow our faith, to grow our relationships, I love this phrase, we have to Listen to this, it's not on the screen. We have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. If you want to grow in the right way towards the future, you have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Did you know how you do that? It's not about speed. It's not, well, do I go slow? No, that's not the point either. What do you do? The best way to navigate the future, what the Apostle Paul teaches us in Philippians, is to focus. That's the key. That's the key to moving forward in the future with health and strength and with the grace of God. So here's some things that we see from the text that will help us navigate our future. Um, First, we see that the Apostle Paul teaches us that in order to focus and reorient my future around focus, instead what we have to do is we have to reorient my priorities. I have to reorient my priorities. Listen to this. I'm going to read this again from verses 7 through 9. Paul said this, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. If If you have your Bible or your Bible app, underline those words, gains and loss. 
I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Notice here the language. He's using gain, loss, what I thought was really valuable and now considered garbage. This is the language of value. This is the language of priority. This is the language of what we think is absolutely important. And what Paul is talking about, the immediate context of this passage, for him, he before following Jesus, he had to, uh, he believed that what was most valuable in his life was righteousness by the law. Which means he was, um, how do I say this? We talk about somebody who's self-righteous. That what was most important was by his own strength being more good, more religious, more pure, more holy than everybody else. And the truth of it is that to become a follower of Jesus, some of us need to be saved from our sin. Like we have a messy past where we know we are running far from God. And for others of us, To follow Jesus means we need to be saved from our own efforts to be good enough. We need to be saved from our self-righteousness. And this is what Paul had to give up. If you're going to navigate your future with Jesus, here's the thing you need to know about reorienting your priorities. If you're going to move forward in the future the right way, there are some things that you thought were important that you're going to learn are no longer important. For Paul, it was righteousness by the law. Who knows what it might be for you? But following Jesus most definitely always involves a reorienting of your values and your priorities. The late Steve Jobs said this. He said, people think focus means saying yes to the thing you've got to focus on. But that's not what it means at all. It means saying no to the hundred other good ideas that are there. You have to pick carefully. I'm actually as proud of the things we haven't done as the things I have done. Innovation is saying no to a thousand things. He's saying in the context of technological innovation, I'm saying this about your life, your emotional health, and your spiritual growth. Some of you, the most practical thing you could do today about navigating towards your future is instead of having a to-do list, like how many of you are my to-do list people? Love them, love them, love them, love them. Some of you need to begin today before you leave and start a to-don't list with God of the things you're gonna quit doing and start saying no to. Because you have, part of this, part of this, is you have to reorient what you think is valuable. And some things you have to learn are not important to Jesus, but they're important to you. And you have to come into alignment with him. Here's the next thing we learned from the Apostle Paul. And we not only have to reorient our priorities, but we can also see this principle at work in his teaching that we have to consider eternity. If you're navigating your past and thinking about your future, you have to consider eternity. We see this in verses 10 and 11. He said, I want to know Christ Oh, that's just like the best here, guys. Can we just park here for a moment to know Christ? He's not saying, I want to know about Christ. 
I want to know about Jesus. I want to win a trivia contest about Jesus. No, he's saying, I want to know him. And that word means I want to be relational with him. I want him to know me deeply and I want to know him. I want him to know my secrets and I want to know the secrets of God. In Psalms, it says that the Lord confides in those who fear him. Paul's like, I want to be best friends with God. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And if that doesn't put the nail in the coffin of maybe following Jesus is just live your best life now, let me tell you, Paul's saying to know Jesus is to know his power and to know what it's like to walk with him in his suffering because there will be pain in life. And beware of preachers who tell you otherwise. Because when you face pain, you begin to think that God failed you. No, the God we follow is the one who died on a cross, but found redemption for the world in his suffering. And he'll do that in your suffering too. Amen? Amen. Now, where was I? (laughs) We have to consider eternity. We have to consider eternity. He's talking about knowing Christ, his power, his sufferings. And then he starts talking about the resurrection from the dead. That is the life after life after death. That is heaven. That is the new heaven, the new earth. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. He's clearly considering eternity. His frame of reference is not this week. Uh, Leah and I, we do a fun thing. Uh, Where some days we're more consistent at it than others. We have this little box that sits on our dinner table with 365 little note cards in it. And at the top of each note card is the day. So this is for tomorrow, October 19th. And what we do is each year, or like each day we'll pull out the card and we'll write the year by it and what happened that day. And we'll put it in the back of the box. And as we work through the year, we'll pull out a card at dinner and say, what happened today? And we'll write one sentence. And so I have three or four entries on here from the past couple of years. Can I tell you what we did for the past several years on October 19th? You want to hear? Too bad, I'm telling you anyway. So on October 19th of 2013, um, I had a Hebrew midterm, super stressed about because I stink at languages. I took four years of Spanish and I don't know anything. Um, yeah, if you struggle with Spanish, good luck with ancient Hebrew, okay? Um, we had a good pie party for some friends. FSU creamed Clemson. Man, this is an artifact, okay? Um, uh, my grandmother fell and broke her hip. On this day in 2013. Um, In 2014, I had my first Community of Hope partnership meeting, and I did a good job as a rookie. All right. And and, uh, here we go. And then the last entry on here, this is very important. In 2017, Tessa went poopy on the party for the very first time. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. You know what's funny? What's interesting There is silly stuff on here, heavy stuff, some tragic things, some stressful things we're trying to navigate. And you know what? I mean, like, not everything, but most everything that whenever I pull out a card out here and I remember what was stressing me out last year or two years ago or three years ago, it doesn't bother me anymore, right? This is the gift that Paul gives to us. 
he is so focused. His frame of reference isn't right now. His frame of reference is eternal. And he knows what's temporary is temporary. What's eternal is eternal. And his perspective helps him navigate his future and focus in the right way. He says this later on in another place in scripture. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, nope, that's not it. What do I have on the screen next? Nope. Well, anyway, he said this. I forgot in my notes. He said this, that I know that these temporary and momentary struggles are achieving for us an eternal glory. And like what I'm going through now is temporary and it is painful, but it's temporary. But my eyes are fixed on what's eternal. Some of you, the practical thing that you might need to begin to do is you might need to start journaling so you can get some more perspective in your life. And that right now, the hard thing that you're going through in a week, it's going to be over or a month. Or maybe you are navigating a really tough thing that might not go away. My family is right now. But even then, when you fix your eyes on eternity, it helps you focus and navigate your future the right way, no matter what you have behind you in your past. Here's the last thing the Apostle Paul teaches us. We not only have to consider our priorities and our eternal perspective, we see this here. We have to be ready to run the long race. The long race. 12 and 14 says this. Not that I've already obtained all this. This is how you know the scriptures are trustworthy because the authors are humble and admit their own weaknesses. If you were making this up, you would make yourself look like a rock star. And Paul's going, I'm not there yet. He says, not that I've already obtained all of this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He switches from metaphors of gain and loss and what's valuable and what's garbage. It's almost like value priority financial language almost. He switches metaphors to running, a marathon race. He uses this athletic imagery from time to time. Now, I don't connect as good with this. If you can't tell, I have short Scottish legs. You know, cross country is lost on Scottish people. It kind of is. Like, we're very effective sprinters over short distances, Long marathons, not so much. My people, genetically speaking, where I'm from, we're just supposed to be living in the highlands of Scotland, rebelling against the English and stealing horses. That's what my people did. We didn't run anywhere. Highlands, you know. But still, Paul is using this imagery of running, of running, and press on and straining towards your prize. Your prize. Everybody's running for something. Everybody's running for something. We know what Paul was running for. He wanted to know Christ, which the scripture tells us. He's not just trying to get into heaven and have eternal life. Knowing Christ means eternal life begins now and continues on even after you die. He wants to know Christ. That's his prize. 
Everyone's running for something. What's your prize? Is it social media likes? Is it the approval of your boss? Is it for the love of a man or a woman? We're all running for something. And here's what Paul teaches us. Every other prize, every other prize fails us or fades but one. And his name is Jesus. Will you run to know him as the prize of your life? We're going to close our service here in just a moment. And as I was thinking about this sermon, I've been listening to um, a new album that I really love. It's by um, a worship group called Shane and Shane. And uh, they have this album called Vintage. And Shane and Shane have been putting out worship songs for about 20 years now. And this album, they put out what's known as classic worship songs. Not like hymns, but oldie but goodie, like praise and worship songs. Like when people started playing songs to God with bands and guitars instead of just organs. And I know you're like, Trevor, that's all still new to me. I want hymns. I know. I understand. I understand. I understand. Um, and on this album, it's just beautiful. They sing songs that I heard when I first felt God's presence as a boy. And they play this song on there. It's an old one called Knowing You. And it's written from this passage. I'm going to read you the lyrics. It's just kind of our closing moment for today to hear this song. And so the song goes like this. All I once held dear and built my life upon. All this world reveres and wars to own. And all I once thought gain, I now count loss. Spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You are my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. If you're able, would you please stand? We're going to close in prayer in a moment, but I want to just let you know that in a moment we're going to have prayer team in the back prayer room over there. If you want prayer for anything about your past, your future, maybe you're sick and you need healing for something, we'd love to pray for you for anything. Um, But here's what we want to do. Would you bow your heads? Let me pray for you. Lord, we give you thanks for the Apostle Paul for the example, somebody who knows what it's like to deal with a messy past, just like us, and who figured out how to navigate towards the future with focus, to follow you and to know you. Would you pour out your great grace on us gathered here as the people of community of hope in this little part of your vineyard of your kingdom. Pour out your grace upon all of us that we would be a people known in our land as those who know you, who know the power of your resurrection, the participation in your sufferings, and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We want to be these types of people because knowing you, you're the best. You're our joy. You're our righteousness. Help us to get it right, Lord. 
We love you. It's in your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Friends, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.